you ever wondered how taboo, shame, and lack of good sexual education have stripped away elements of pleasure in childbirth and parenting that are essential to loving, intimate relationships? Join me for another episode of Orgasmic Birth Podcast, Pleasure in Pregnancy, Birth, and Parenting, as we break down and heal barriers and open the door to more love and intimacy in birth and life. postpartum intimacy and sexuality like? Have you ever talked to someone about what you expected postpartum to be like? Have you listened to real stories of what postpartum sexuality was like for both women and their partners? I find it's one of the most overlooked topics in preparing to welcome a baby into your life and why I wrote the book, The Ultimate Guide to Sex After Baby, Secrets to Love and Intimacy. Hi, I'm Deborah Pascali Bonaro, founder and director of Orgasmic Birth and host of the Orgasmic Birth podcast. My guest today is Dr. Diane Spire. She practices psychotherapy and hypnotherapy, specializing in perinatal psychology, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, and recovering from birth trauma in the UK. She's a member of the all-party parliamentary group for conception to age two, the first 1,001 critical days advocating for improved infant and perinatal mental health in the House of Commons. Diane has written a chapter on birth trauma for the book, Transforming Infant Wellbeing, Research, Policy, and Practice for the First 1,001 Critical Days. Diane is now developing an online course called Eight Keys for Thriving in the Fourth Trimester to help parents prepare for what happens after birth. And this is so needed. She says, it's in my DNA to help families through the postpartum period. I started running groups and classes for mothers and babies in 1978, in addition to being a childbirth educator and doula. She's passionate about making the transition to parenthood a positive experience. And she's joining us today, which I'm really honored to talk about. Is there sex after birth, sex and intimacy in the fourth trimester? Welcome, Diane. Oh, I'm so glad to be here with you, Deborah. You know, I love your work and you keep creating new things that are just so important. And you've had quite a journey, both personally and professionally with childbirth and parenting. And I always love to ask people, can you tell us just a little bit about your own birth and postpartum experiences and how that kind of led you to your life's work and today's topic? Of course. I think that having a baby is, is probably the first step to somebody who ends up becoming a birth worker, especially over the 40 plus years that I've been doing it. But yes, I had, um, you know, I had my first child in a traditional hospital with a doctor, with an obstetrician, and it went well. But there were rules in the hospital that I wasn't entirely happy about. I couldn't have a mirror when I wanted to, and I couldn't see what was going on. And, you know, so I thought, well, the next time around, I'm going to make a different choice. And that was in 1976. And although I had spoken to a home birth midwife, there weren't many around in that point. That was exactly the time when the Maternity Center Association in New York City opened up their childbearing center. 
And I went there. I don't remember who recommended it to me. Might have been Elizabeth Bing. And I went to see it. And the environment and the atmosphere was so wonderful and inviting and welcoming. And um, I was just amazed that the attitude around birth was so normal and natural there. So I definitely wanted to have my baby there. And I did. And it was a very fast birth, four hours from start to finish. And the thing that I found in that moment was it was at five o'clock. We went into labor at five o'clock in the afternoon. And um, nobody's really home. In those days, we didn't have cell phones. So, you know, when we wanted to call these people to come and watch our first child, nobody was home. But it turns out that some were coming to visit us just at that moment as we were pulling out of the, the garage. And we said, get in the car. And they came with us when we went to the birth center and they went upstairs with Eric, my first son. And uh, we went down and had a baby. So the third time around, this time I wanted a home birth and I was all geared up for having a home birth, but I, uh, my daughter was 10 and a half pounds and I got stuck. She had a persistent occipital posterior and her little nose got stuck on my pubic bone. So we transferred to Englewood Hospital. And because I was using a midwife whose name I cannot recall at this moment, whose backup was at Englewood Hospital. So I went there and it was a forceps delivery and I thought I was done. And then through my work again, you know, like doing this work (laughs) as an occupational hazard. And I had just developed the birth empowerment workshop and, you know, it just felt like some other little spirit wanted to come in. So we just, to this point, planned to have a home birth. And we did, in fact, have a home birth. And what was very amazing about that experience was my daughter was seven at this point. She was the youngest of the three. And the older two were like pre-adolescent adolescents. And so they were watching what was going on. And they were like my cheering squad. They were behind me saying, hey, you're doing great, mom. <laughs> and I was on beautiful delivering and on, on hands and knees delivering. And it was a, just a wonderful experience to have really the entire, well, even my daughter had fallen asleep by this point because he was born at 1134 at night, but it was really a wonderful experience to, I feel like I have, I've had all the types of births you can have other than a cesarean section with my four children. So beautiful. And, you know, I love your birth journey and I find so many people have that, right? What they choose for their first brings so many lessons that they incorporate and the same for two and three and, and really beautiful that your place of birth changed um, and that your experience changed. Now, how did that lead you to the incredible work that you're doing now? Well, when, after I had my son in the birth center, I became friendly with the midwife who was actually there catching. And I said, you know, it seems that this birth is something I seem to understand innately. I can't explain it. And she said, well, you know, there's a teacher training program going on now. And this was the Metro New York Childbirth Education Association who started in 1977. And I went to to that teacher training and met some luminaries of the day like Doris Hare, and other, you know, wonderful leaders of the time that, or the thought leaders of that time, where we were really talking about, you know, 
what rights women had when they went into birth, you know, and we had just succeeded in having fathers allowed in for the delivery. So, and that was the beginning of it, but I moved to California and nobody knew what CEA was or Child Works Education Association was. So I trained again in the Bradley Method. And I taught the Bradley Method for about 10 years. I we moved back to New York. And then I kind of went out and I took bits of everything that I thought was really useful and created my own teaching modality, I say. Cool. So yeah, that's birth makes those of us that are so inspired, it just energizes that desire to help others have positive birth experiences. I agree. And even if you don't go on to a career in birth, right? I think there's such a lesson that birth really touches such deep parts of us and inspires us to birth all kinds of other things, not only babies, but other aspects of ourself and life. But as you and I know, that journey into postpartum is always filled like I remember, and I don't know if this was true of you, like when I had my first baby, I spent the whole time trying to figure out how to get the baby out and birth the baby and hadn't thought at all about what postpartum would be like. And no one talked to me about intimacy and relationship and sexuality. So can you talk a little bit about that? This is your expertise here. I mean, it started pretty early on. I mean, I, I started to run postpartum support groups for originally people who were like my birth clients and they kind of wanted more. And that evolved into this mother and baby exercise class that I I taught for 20 years. So the emphasis was on that transition into the afterbirth experience. And a lot of the mothers that came into these groups shared their experiences with me and I shared my knowledge and wisdom with them. And it was... I became aware of the fact that there weren't enough resources out there for what happens after the birth. But as a birth educator, I found that my clients did just want to get through the birth, get me through the birth. Then, you know, and they're not thinking about what happens after that. It's like the wall ends at the birth. And I keep saying, but wait, something more. (laughs) Birth is a short period of time. That whole postpartum and beyond period is so much longer. So what can we do and how can we prepare? And I think that when I wrote my book, Life After Birth, that was my premise that let's get this information out there to more and more mothers and partners about what they can expect what kinds of things are are going to go on. And one of the things that's um, a major section of the book is about nurturing the partner relationship. And of course, sex and intimacy, you know, falls into, into that domain is that it's so important to be connected. When you're going through all of these changes and so much upheaval that if you can work together and not start work, you know, pulling apart and blaming each other if things aren't going the way you want them to, then that really makes for a much more, a much smoother and a healthier adjustment where you're on the same page and you're looking for solutions together. And that was, you know, when that happens, it's wonderful because it's almost like, it's almost like an aphrodisiac, even though sex might be on the back burner for a while during recovery and healing, but that adds a little bit of spice, shall we say, 
to what's going to come sort of down the road when babies are sleeping better and you're not so tired. But one of the things that I found, and it's also in part, a part in that online course that I'm, I'm working on now, is the whole idea of oxytocin refreshment. I don't know that anyone talks about it quite like that, but here's, here's the experience of the mother as she's breastfeeding is that she is producing or secreting oxytocin all day long as a result of breastfeeding. And during that time, all that connection with the baby, she gets touched out. She's had all this touching. She's had all this, I'll say oxytocin satisfaction, okay? But her partner isn't necessarily having that. And if she's breastfeeding, he might feel a little bit left out, but he's certainly not getting that same level of oxytocin that he would get from having sexual intercourse or any other kind of pleasure that goes on, because I'm also very much an advocate that you may not have penetrative sex early on, some people will, but you can have other ways of pleasuring each other that won't necessarily depend on that. So I think when women understand that they're getting that refreshment, but their partner isn't getting that refreshment, then there, there are ways in which that can happen that balance it out a little bit more. But the other part of that is if she's feeling touched down, she isn't really going to be that receptive to more touch when she's tired at the end of the day. So then partners need to kind of understand that in that this is why this dynamic may be happening between you. It's nobody's fault. It's just the state of affairs. And this way they can each appreciate then each other's needs. And I think it's very important that we take care of each other's needs in a partnership after birth. Yes. And I love your term, oxytocin refreshment for both partners. I mm-hmm. That was just beautifully said. And you kind of alluded into it. And I know you really talk about, can you talk about the difference between sexuality and intimacy and how uh, that comes in here? Well, that's another thing. I mean, that in a general in a general sense, you know who is a wonderful author um, is... Esther Perel, who wrote a book called Mating in Captivity. And when I read that book, it really, really helped me to think about how that might apply to someone who's just recently had a baby, right? And so sexuality is the sort of physical expression of the love between two people. But intimacy is a different kind of dynamic in that it's a place where you go to feel safe. It's a place where you connect based on repetitive activities that you do together. And what Esther Perel sort of really believes is that all of that closeness is actually not good for sexuality because we need a little bit of separation in order to, you know, to come back. You know, it's, it, maybe it applies to the absence makes the heart grow fonder notion. But I think, you know, there is this sort of the very beginning stage when you're in the romantic stage of the development of a relationship, you know, you're coming and you're going and that separation creates an amazing amount of desire. But if you're bumping into each other every day on a regular basis and you've got a newborn baby and you're tired, you're sleep deprived and all of these other features are coming into it, then sexuality doesn't really have a place to grow. That desire kind of be gets put on hold momentarily. It's a temporary thing, but it goes on hold. 
But what I think is good is that during that time, when you're kind of learning the ropes and dealing with the changes and all of the other kinds of events that are taking place in those, say, first three months after having a baby, it's the ideal time to develop that sense of intimacy with each other. Because, you, you know, the desire is on hold anyway. So now you can really get a chance to learn about each other and learn about each other as you become parents. And, you know, it's always fascinating to see when someone imagines what their partner is going to be as a parent, it's sometimes very different than the reality. And this is an opportunity for them to really become familiar because familiar, you know, does something and maybe sort of just chokes off some of that desire, but it's wonderful for intimacy. And then as the time goes by and you are feeling more inclined for more sexual activity, then you're bringing that intimacy into that, but they're not the same. I think a lot of people confuse sexuality and intimacy as the same thing. And for me, it's important to tease it apart, to distinguish them. I like that a lot. That was so clear and like has me thinking about it too. And I love just all the tips that you gave. Now, how could someone, and I know people are listening today that may be pregnant or may be in that postpartum, that fourth trimester, what are some tips that you would give them to develop that intimacy and ultimately then to develop sexuality? What are some things they could do? Talk to each other. (laughs) Say, wow, you know, I never, I didn't expect birth to affect my body this way. If you're not comfortable with your body, if you can share that, that is the, the development of the intimacy allows you to share some of those feelings that might not feel safe otherwise. And for partners to be able to sort of express the fact that they're feeling a little bit left out. They're left out of the oxytocin bubble. So we need to create an oxytocin, you know, their own oxytocin refreshment. That could be a hand job. You know, that could be other ways of bringing him to orgasm. She has breastfeeding. He needs something too. And so there's a way of... There are probably many ways. I'm, <laughs> I'm not limited to one, but of understanding that there's so much going on. You're not necessarily receptive to going through the whole dynamic of having sexual intercourse, or you maybe you're not having penetrative sex yet anyway. But what can you do about that? Planning in advance. It, it may be a little bit off topic here, but one of the things that I have found, and it's, it's definitely in the, in the first module of my online course, is the division of labor. And the division of labor is not something people think about while they're still pregnant. It just doesn't come up, but it should. And the reason for this is what happens is if you've had an egalitarian relationship and the doing of things around the house has been pretty equal along the way, What most people are unprepared for, and women especially, is that when the baby is born, we revert back to these gendered stereotypes of partners going off to work and mothers staying home doing their childcare and home care and all the rest of that. And it feels like she's backsliding into another century when that happens. If you sat down and talked about what the division of labor is ahead of time, 
who's going to do this and who's going to do that? And how's it going to change after the baby is born? Then they have an idea. They, first of all, together plan this out. So there's no surprises. No one's going to get resentful that they're doing all the work and the other person is not. And in one study that came out of Canada in 2016, they found that when the father was very involved in all of the activities around the household, whether it was domestic work or infant care, that really increased satisfaction in the relationship. And that satisfaction in the relationship was an increase in that. And so I think that partners, fathers, whoever, really getting involved in engaging that way, it's an aphrodisiac, which brings us back to the original <laughs> context for the conversation. And I loved, I remember when my little ones were little, I used to say the best foreplay was my partner cleaning the kitchen, right? So that's what you're saying that I love that communication and that division of labor, really important tip. Now- Because that's a real source of conflict. I just want to interrupt you for a second. It's a real source of conflict. And 92% of couples have increased conflict in the first year after a baby's born. If we can reduce that, we can- increase the um, the joy of being in a couple. Fantastic. Now I have to ask you, you wrote down something and I read it and went, oh, I want to hear this. You said one of the things we could talk about is how the Mingman point in TCM generates arousal. What is that? <laughs> well, at the moment I'm finishing, the, I'm doing the certification in energy medicine. And the Mingmen part is part of Chinese or traditional Chinese medicine. And it is part of something called a radiant circuit. We have lots of radiant circuits and most people understand a lot about meridians, for instance, but actually radiant circuits are earlier in the development. The radiant circuits come into the fetus before meridians start to develop. So meridians are like really pathways. Radiant circuits are like hyperlinks. Wherever the body needs it, they jump around. There is uh, a radiant circuit called penetrating flow. And Mingmen is the starting point for penetrating flow. And it's on the back and it's directly behind your navel. So that is a point where if you, if you stimulate that, it can grow into arousal. And I can remember one time years and years and years ago when I was still married, my, my husband used a feather in that area and it was absolutely sublime is all I can say. And so it's there and it, it goes slightly up above the waist, but the actual penetrating flow then goes down towards the sacrum, comes around the front of the hips and then travels up to here. So Mingmen Point is, is something that, you know, I tell my, in, in the modules and in the book, you know, this is a good place to go. It's a great starting point because if you stimulate Ming Min, it may lead to something wonderful and um, may take you into a state of arousal that becomes something lovely. And in the first penetrative sex, it's very important to have lubricating jelly. Absolutely. Yes. Talk a little bit about that, but I want to thank you for the Mingman point because I didn't know what that was. And <laughs> it makes a lot of sense too. I know that 
many women, myself included, like a lot of touch. So that pre-touch, but now to know that there are certain points yeah. um, that really can activate that arousal. But mm -hmm. talk a little bit about lubrication too, because that's a big one in the that fourth think, trimester. Well, it's, and it and actually has a lot to do with hormones because the delivery of the placenta means that there's less estrogen and estrogen is part of arousal, but also low levels of estrogen. And, and it's also good because if there was too much estrogen, it would, it would interfere with the production of milk. Oh, I just lost my thought. Sorry. Okay, there's one point. How we can one. help with lubrication. And All right, lubrication. The dryness, one of the things that the lack of estrogen does is cause the vagina to be dry. And that's sort of one of the downsides of breastfeeding, but it's easily rectified. And so if you have, you know, lubricating jelly, you want to use it because that will make, that will help the first penetration be a little bit smoother because sometimes it can be really sticky and prickly the first time that happens. And this is one way of avoiding that discomfort. The discomfort, vaginal discomfort is, you know, dyspareunia. But, you know, that's, I have a big picture of KY lubricating jelly is on one of the pages of the app. The app is Digital Doula 2.0, by the way. And there's a just, you know, it's, I think it's really important because if we can do everything we can in order to make that return to sexuality a positive one, you know, I'm all for that. I'm an advocate for that for sure. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I always felt like, some people feel lubricant is a sign that you're not getting aroused and partners can wonder if we've never used it, why we need it now. So I'm so happy you explained that there is that hormonal component, that there is this shift, especially for people that are breastfeeding too, but for all postpartum people and right. how important lube can be if it's even that might be the first time you're using it, or for some people, it's been a natural part of their intimate and sexual life. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yes, it is, it is important to know that. That's see, that's why having this kind of information in preparing for the postpartum period is so important because then nobody's questioning the fact that maybe I'm not doing something right and she's not aroused now. It has nothing to do with the partnership and everything to do with the levels of estrogen in the body. And it's so simply explained. So we only have a little more time, but I'm going to ask you if there's any other point you'd like to add about that fourth trimester to guide parents. What would be one more tip you might say to them? I think the, the probably the overarching thing is patience. Patience during this time, because there's so much change. There's so much going on. There are all these new roles. There's this other little tiny being that depends on you completely. There's a disruption in terms of your ordinary state. So if you can remain patient with each other and going in both directions, that patience allows other kinds of positive interactions and to tolerance is probably a big part of that as well. So you're not acting like you're blaming the other person. You know, things aren't going the way you want them to go. You can avoid those kinds of interactions. You can stay connected. I think knowing that the birth of a baby is known to be a period of, of relationship breakdown 
I think the thing to, you know, if you can do things that are going to foster that connection and patience and tolerance will be a big feature of those, then you can, you, you can work as a team and come through this transition as a duet. I always think of it as a duet because each individual could sing their particular part, but as they sing it together, they're in harmony. And to have a healthy sexuality and intimacy in the fourth trimester, you need that kind of harmony. Beautiful. Well, I know people are probably saying, Diane, where can we find you? How can we get your book and learn more about your class? Can you tell us how people can be in touch? Well, my website is dianespire.com. So let me spell it because the last name always often gets spelled incorrectly. It's D-I-A-N-E-S-P-E-I-E-R.com. The name of the book is called Life After Birth, A Parent's Holistic Guide for Thriving in the Fourth Trimester. And we're having a very exciting book relaunch on October 11th. We're having a nice live stream event if you want to look for that. There's also Digital Doula, which is very much together with the book in that all of the sections in the book correspond to sections in the app. But the app has more information. It can be changed more easily. And as more information comes in, I like to update things. So that's the app, Digital Doula 2.0. And it's available in the App Store and the Google Play. And pretty soon there'll be eight keys for thriving in the fourth trimester. And that's the online course to prepare and educate parents on what happens after birth. Thank you so much, Diane, for sharing your wealth of wisdom today. And I know that you're going to be making such a difference. I hope many people will check out your new course and all your products. I love the digital doula, by the way, 2.0, just really such an important gift. And for everyone who joined us today, we always love to hear your comments and feedback. What are you taking away from all these tips? What was your favorite quote? Please tag both of us. Look in the show notes and tag us. We always really value your feedback and we look forward to you joining us next time on the orgasmic birth podcast thanks for listening to the orgasmic birth podcast if you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about pleasure in birth parenting and birth work visit orgasmicbirth.com forward slash more for my free gifts and please leave a review about your experience reviews help us to reach more people and please subscribe Thank you.